0: Anyway, hey, I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of this series. So this is kind of the, the closing sermon in our Fruit of the Spirit series. I pray as we've diag- like just diagnosed these and maybe saw these in a different light, I pray you've been refreshed. I pray this has been a refreshing time for you because really our hearts, our souls, our minds, it's intended to draw us back to who Jesus is. And so I pray as, as, as familiar as these passages are that we've just found fresh refreshment in them. And today I have the, the privilege of talking about peace as we close our time together. I'm going to be spending most of my time in Psalm 131, so you can start making your way there. Um, and then I, then I have a, a pop quiz for us. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, uh, thanks so much for this time together as we examine one final sermon on the fruit of the Spirit. And God, what a joy it has been just to think through these. Uh, nine fruit that you have given us in scripture. Lord, I pray that we find some application and growth as we um, just really desire to look more like Christ, to conform more into his image. And I pray that uh, today we'll be able to do the same as we look at Galatians 5, and 23, coupled with Psalm 131. Lord, may we just see Jesus glorious and where we find our peace today. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys ready for the pop quiz? Hey. You've been studying, you've been preparing, all right? So this is not so much a pop quiz. This is the final exam, okay? You've been studying, you've been reciting, you've been rehearsing Galatians 5, 22 and 23 for 10 weeks, nine weeks. Are you guys ready to say it with me? All right, let's go. Galatians 5, 22, 22, 23, say it together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law you passed. Hey, we went four for four today. You guys did good. I've, Pastor Jeff is going to be thrilled with that. So we're going to be talking about peace. And, and if you were to, you know, do a survey and, and ask certain individuals what their definition of peace is, you would likely receive one of the following answers. You would probably hear, well, peace is the absence of conflict. That's probably one common definition you'll hear. So as long as you're getting along with your spouse, you're experiencing peace. Or any number of relationships you might have. Another definition you might hear is, well, peace is uh, the sense of calm and tranquility. So as long as there's no perceived turmoil in your world, then the peace is your reality. Or maybe you'll hear, well, peace is the very opposite, the antithesis of chaos. So as long as nothing chaotic is happening in my world, I have peace. Those are probably all very common definitions. And to a degree, I mean, all those definitions are right. Peace is this sense of calm. Peace is the absence of conflict. Peace is the removal of chaos. And if that's true, why why do we wrestle with peace so bad then? Like if it's so easy to grasp, we can logically get to a conclusion. Why is it so hard? Well, the reality is we still argue with our spouses, maybe even on your way to church today. That's just the reality. We live in a chaotic world. Right? We have a lot of chaos in our life, and, and sometimes the tranquil things that we just so desperately want seem so far from us, and, and we just feel like, man, peace is just not a reality. It's not in the cards for me. But Paul hints in this chapter, that even in verse 17, that this is a spiritual thing more than it is a physical thing. In fact, in verse 17, Paul says, hey, the, de- the desires of the flesh, they're against the Spirit, And the desires of the Spirit, they're against the flesh. They're opposed to each other. They're at war with each other. And there is conflict, and there are sparks flying. And it's to keep us from doing the things we want to do. So while we have a desire for biblical peace in our life, we have to battle our sinful selves to get it. This is a spiritual fight. But by God's grace, we have the X marking the spot for us in the pages of Scripture. And so as we dig into this text, we will, we will understand, I pray that we'll understand where we'll see true and biblical peace, where we can find it. And I pray that we also discover that it doesn't have to be as evasive as what we might think. And peace is a very common subject in the pages of Scripture. And we see it in the Old Testament. We see it in this, the word shalom. It's, it carries this idea or this concept of, of pieces coming together to form a whole. See, in ancient Israel, it was not uncommon for individuals to greet one another with the word shalom, peace be with you. May you find unity. May you find togetherness. May you be whole. That's, that's what shalom means. It would be like you and I saying good morning. That's how they greeted one another. As we fast forward to the New Testament, we have the Greek word irene. This is what we see in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's, and it essentially means the same thing. It's to join pieces together to form a whole. That's what I re-name is. So it's functional pieces coming together, foundational pieces coming together, the most important pieces forming a whole. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. Imagine you're at a biblical counseling training conference in north central Indiana, and you just had a fabulous week. You are growing. You are learning about yourself. You're learning how to interact with folks on a biblical level to help them take their next step in their relationship with Christ. It was just a glorious, fabulous week. On the way home, you load up in the van, you're making your way from Lafayette to Central uh, in uh, Wisconsin, and as you're driving, you're debriefing, you're talking about how the conference impacted you, it's just a wonderful trip until you hit mile marker 198. Once you hit mile marker 198, you notice that traffic has come to a complete standstill, just a complete dead standstill. And you think it's gonna last maybe 20 or 30 minutes our tops. They're going to move everything out of the way if there was an accident, and we're going to be on our way. Six hours later, you're still at mile marker 198. How many of us are feeling peaceful in that moment? I hear some giggling. You're probably like, no, not me. Let me tell you what happened to me on Friday. I was at a biblical counseling training conference in central Indiana, and I'm heading from the conference to home, back to central Wisconsin, and we're stuck at mile marker 198 for six hours hours. I was with Pastor Brian Whitaker. We knew that we were both preaching today. He's, he's on a marathon campus preaching. Guess what he's preaching on today? Patience. <laughs> I'm preaching on peace. I find, I find God's humor just so funny. Like, so here we are. We're at a conference to help us grow in sanctification, and then God puts us in an area where our sanctification is going to be tested for six hours. No place to go. God is amazing. He's so gracious. But what's the fundamental component missing in this story? Momentum. The car moving forward, going north. It's just not there. It's missing. That's a, that's a critical component. If you're going to travel any number of miles, you've got to be moving forward. If momentum is missing, it's just not going to happen. And this is the fundamental piece missing in the story. And oftentimes, my piece, Pastor Brian's patience, was pushed to the max. We need the fundamental pieces of our life functioning together as a whole. You know, the most important piece that must be present in our life is a relationship with Christ. That's the piece. That's the momentum that keeps us moving forward. And we have a great example of this in the life of King David. This is where we come into Psalm 131. See, David is Israel's greatest king. He's an author of Scripture. He is labeled in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. And we're going to see some insights into peace through the life of David in Psalm 131. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to break this up into two different parts. We're going to talk a little bit about what wrecks our peace, what steals our peace. And then I'm going to finish with where do we experience peace in our life? So let's grab our Bibles. Let's flip over to Psalm 131, if you haven't already. And let's read this Psalm. O Lord want to spend a few moments reviewing two familiar components that can wreck our peace. We see this right away in verse number one. I want to label these as self-sabotagers. Right? I want, this is the category I'm putting this in. These are the individuals that kind of create this chaos with their own two hands. Right? This is us developing landmines, setting them on the ground, and then stepping on them. Like we create this on our own. We do this to ourselves. These are self-sabotagers. The first component we see in the text is pride. It's pride. Let's think of it this way. When pride is present, peace is missing. When pride is present, peace is missing. Notice what David says. He says, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Well, what is David saying? Well, essentially, David is saying that he's not looking down at, at other individuals because of his station in life, in contrast to maybe their lower station in life. Remember, David is a king. It would have been easy for David to do that, to look, at, to look down on other people, maybe to think of himself more highly than he should have. It would have been really easy for David to make decisions based on what was best for him, rather than for the greater good of the nation. Or David could have easily said, it's my way or the highway. But we see how David has lived his life in that reality at different times, and it only caused him angst. It only caused him tension in his life. And, of of course, angst and peace can't dwell in our hearts at the same time. Pride and peace can't dwell in our hearts at the same time. Let's just use David's life to illustrate this. Think of 2 Samuel 24. This is a period in David's kingly history where he's going to take a census of his nation. Now, on the surface, that might seem like a wise thing to do. It might seem, well, yeah, of course, we want to know how many people we have, where we can allocate our resources, and where we can fund different areas. Like, we want to make sure that everything is is, is going well. So there's part of that that seems like it's wise. But what David had in mind was anything but wise. It was actually self-indulgent. David was only interested in seeing how big his kingdom was. How big have I grown this? How many people are a part of this? This? And when it, was finally, when it finally dawned on David how prideful this was, the Bible actually says that his heart struck him. He was, he was not a happy man. And the Lord, in his sovereignty, wanted to redirect David. He wanted to train him. So he actually gives David three choices on how to redirect on, on this discipline. Here's option number one. Option one is, David, because of your pride, you can have three years of famine. Option two is... You can be on the run for three months as your enemies pursue you. Or option three is a three-day pestilence. Now, if you're David, which one do you choose? That's hard. God is great, he, gracious. He gives him three options. Here's a, basically what David does. He's like, I'll take anything but number two. I think probably his time running from Saul had a lot to do with this. You know, or, or different other enemies that pursued him. So he, basically what God says, okay, I'm going to give you option three. There's going to be a three-day pestilence. But what I want us to do, I want us to notice the emotion in David once everything is coming to light, once the wheel begins to move a little bit further. This is what happens in verse 14. Then David said to Gad, his seer, he says, I'm in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hand of man. Did you, did you catch the emotion that David is wrestling with here? It's distress. I'm in distress. That's the very opposite Of peace. And where did this come from? Well, at its root, at its very core, it's from his pride. He was more interested in building his kingdom, his own little empire, rather than the kingdom of God. What I find fascinating as as a consequence of this this three-day pestilence, 70,000 men died in those three days, See, David is thinking, how great can I grow my empire? And the Lord is taking it from him because David's kingdom can't stand under the weight of a sovereign God. When pride is present, peace is missing. And I wonder how many of us know what this feels like? How many of us try and build our little kingdoms only to be met with stress or tension or grief or or maybe this idea or this craving that I need more? Enough is not enough. I think one of the ways we see this, at least in my own world, is in, in our children's athletic teams. I have, I have three sons. All three play basketball. And I, I see how it's very easy for the, the kingdom of sports or basketball to become the kingdom. Or this is the kingdom I want to invest in. And so we try really hard to see our kids become the next Steph Curry or, or Michael Jordan. It's just not going to happen. Or we see parents losing their minds at referees because the call didn't go the way they thought it should go. I, I've actually never done that, though. <laughs> we build our kingdoms, right? And so we lose our minds. And what's, as I'm seeing a game get called in a way that I don't think it should get called, peace is not how I would define myself in those moments. It's angry. David says distress. That's probably a great way to label it myself. We see this in athletics. I think we see this in sport, or not sports, but with our jobs, our careers. Right? We, we try and work really hard to gather enough wealth and prestige and power. And what does that get us? We, we feel burned out and we're overworked. And maybe we're even estranged from the people who are closest to us at different times. Sports isn't bad. Our careers are not bad. We want to work as hard as we can unto the Lord. That can't be where we find our peace. Or maybe in our social groups, we got to be with the A-listers i got to be with the in crowd, the the cool kids, as we used to say in high school. And we may even compromise some of our morals or ethics to make this happen. But what happens? We feel alone. We might even feel bitter. Maybe there's some shame attached to that. I think of what my wife and I just recently talked about, the kingdom of FOMO. If you're not familiar with FOMO, FOMO is the fear of missing out. I wrestle with the fear of missing out. That's the kingdom that I build. I got to be a part of this. I got to be at the cutting edge of of this thing. And I want my kids to be a part of everything so they're not missing out. It's the kingdom that I'm trying to build. And what is it left? It's just distress, as David says. It just crushes us because when pride is present, when I'm building my kingdoms, peace is missing. Our, Our kingdoms, they crumble under the weight of a sovereign God. I think another component we see that wrecks our peace is a noisy world. It's a noisy world. We live in a noisy world. Let me phrase it this way. When the commotion is louder than Christ, peace is missing. Notice how David continues in verse 1. He says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. What is David saying here? Well, essentially, David is saying that he's not going to worry about things that are outside of his control. I can't control it, therefore I'm not going to occupy my mind, myself, with things too great and too marvelous for me. Because when he does, that's when he has anxiety, that's when he has fear, that's when he has despair. I define this as noise. The things that we think about that may occupy our thought life, wow, that's, just, that's things that are too great and too marvelous for us. It's noise. And Dave says, I'm not going to concern myself with the noise. That sounds nice, doesn't it? We live in a noisy world. Let's go back to to mile marker 198, just for a few moments. (laughs) So here I am with Pastor Brian. We're thinking about our sermon on peace and his sermon on patience, and we're just thinking, wow, this is not at all what we expected this to be like. We thought we would just be home in no time at all. Now, as we think about this, though, I, I, I was just wondering, sitting there. It would be great if we could just get some of the debris moved off so we could get rolling. It would be great if we could just get to the next exit, because then maybe we could take a detour and hook up with the interstate at a later place. Like, I was thinking about all these things that could or could not happen, obviously did not happen. But in my mind, I was thinking about all these. So, so I, I began to draw a circle. And so the circle that I have is a pretty large circle. I call it the, the circle of concern. Right? These are all the things that just go into this. Can we get the debris moved? Can we get to the next exit? You know, can we make it to the next rest area? Whatever this looks like. This is the circle of concern. And then in the middle, there's the, 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 another circle. It's concentric. It's called the circle of responsibility. Right? These are the things that I'm actually responsible for. The, the circle of concern, I really have nothing to do with. I can't change any of this. I can't get out and clear the debris myself. I can't drive a tow truck. Like, there's just so many things I can't control. But I do have a a circle of responsibility. What is my circle of responsibility at sitting at mile marker 198? Well, it's to to make sure I'm obeying all the traffic laws. We really wanted to get into the right shoulder and just buzz past everybody. Like that was a real temptation. (laughs) Lord, lead me not to this shoulder. Right? This was a real temptation. We didn't. We obeyed the traffic laws. My responsibility was to communicate with my family back home that, hey, I'm probably going to be about nine hours late tonight. I was actually nine hours late getting home. It was real. Another thing that I was responsible for is just connecting with the the pastor sitting next to me, continuing to to debrief, to even laugh when we saw something funny happening on the road, and there was plenty to laugh about. That, That was my responsibility. But if I occupied my mind with things that I can't control, what happens? That's when I feel distress, That's when peace is missing. But if I can handle and stay in my area of responsibility, wow, that's when I can feel a sense of peace. Another element that I think David is talking about in the text is not concerning himself with lesser things that might distract him from the most important things. And this happens a lot. And there's a lot to choose from. or There's a lot of things that can distract us. I I, I see three primary distractions in our world. Number one is hobbies right? Hobbies can be so distracting. Hobbies are great. I'm not, don't hear me say hobbies are bad. Hobbies are good. If you like to go hunting, that's a great hobby. If you like to go to the gym, that's great. If you like to paint, pottery, or whatever, like that's great. There's a lot of hobbies we can be involved in. Well, our our problem becomes when I got to get to these hobbies so I can find some peace in my world, because I just want to unthink. I just want to distract my mind. I just want to not think about this for today. Let's go to the golf course. Now, sometimes you need to unplug and unwind, but that can't be your source of peace. Maybe entertainment is another distraction. Entertainment's broad. Let me define that a little bit more specific. Maybe it's just grabbing our phone, just mind numbing, flipping from site to site or platform to platform. What's other people? What are, what, what are other people doing? How are they managing things? We're just trying to not think. I just want to not think about work for the next hour. I want to not think about my present reality. I'm just going to turn to my phone. Or maybe it's you know, just catching up on the latest pop culture gossip that's happening around in our world. I just want to not think about this reality. Or, or maybe you spent too much time watching Seinfeld on Netflix. Like, there's just so many things that you can sink your mind into to, to distract yourself from the real world. And, and David says, I'm not going to occupy my mind with things too great and too marvelous for me. What, what hobbies, what entertainment might be distracting us? Or maybe a third distraction is the desire for more. More money. More time. More power, more influence, more space. If I can just upgrade from a four-bedroom to five-bedroom with three bathrooms, that would solve everything in my house. That would be peaceful. But more doesn't satisfy. I think of what the preacher said in Ecclesiastes 2. Think about what he said in Ecclesiastes 2. He's, He's giving us a laundry list of everything he was able to accomplish and all that he was able to build. I built orchards. I built parks. I built houses. I built barns. I had male servants and female servants. I had musicians. They were born into my house. But it all amounted to vanity, to nothing. It was a vapor. More doesn't lead to a more peaceful life. And it's just noise. And when the commotion is louder than Christ, peace is missing. Now, remember, I've labeled this as self sabotage Maybe you've been able to identify where you land, and I've been able to identify where I land in some of these areas. But, you know, I think there's another category that we need to talk about that, that can really wreck our peace. And these aren't self-sabotagers. These are things that that happen to us that are out of our control. I I call this category wounded warriors. This is just things that happen to you that you have no choice in the matter. And really, when we boil it down to it's very, like the brass tacks, it's, it's the reality of living in a broken, messed up, sinful world. I mean, think about the dark spiritual arrows that fly at you every single day. You don't get to control that. You don't get to control where those arrows stick at times. Now, if we're not putting the armor on, of course, we can identify that. But sometimes we can't choose. So when someone sins against us, sometimes in really horrific ways, we didn't get to choose that. That that wrecks our peace. That that destroys us. It doesn't feel very peaceful. Or, Or maybe you're walking through grief, the loss of a loved one. Well, you didn't get to choose that either. It's just the reality of living in a broken, sinful, messed up world. And if that is you, if this is described what you might be going through, some painful seasons in your life. My heart goes out for you. We love you. We pray for you. We love to come alongside of you and minister to you. Because we don't get to choose some of these things. They just come into us. They come into our hearts, they come into our lives, and and we get the bad diagnosis. We get the the bad news at work. We get the bad news on the family front. It's just we don't choose this sometimes. But I also want to encourage us that peace is attainable. Peace is a reality that we can enjoy right here and right now. So we've talked about what robs us of peace. So let's now shift into how do we experience peace? How do we have this in our life? And I think there is one primary way we experience peace in our life, and we see this in our text. I love how David says this. He says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. David's using a word picture here. He's giving us a developmental illustration. He's he's kind of giving us the process of a child growing up. Well when a child is nursing and you sit this child on mother's lap, they're often very anxious. They just want their next meal. But as the child develops and begins to eat more and more hearty cereal and, and their, their nutrition value is increasing, they become satisfied for longer periods of time. They, they have this sense of peace knowing that, hey, I know I'm going to be cared for and I know what I have is going to be good and is going to satisfy me for longer periods of time. So David is saying this is a lot like our life spiritually. When we grow in our relationship with Christ, it's a developmental illustration. So the more you and I grow in Christ, the longer we stay satisfied in Him for longer periods of time. Essentially, it'd be like us upgrading from White Castle to Texas Roadhouse, right? It's hearty, and it's good. It tastes good. It is satisfying, and I can't wait till I get the next meal. That's what David is saying. There's a satisfaction that comes in our relationship with Christ, as we grow and develop and conform more to His image, we just feel this sense of peace and satisfaction. And this leads us to the reality that peace is found when we quiet our soul in the Lord. Now, the word calm or quiet here, it's to, it's to, to level. It's to, to bulldoze our cares, our worries, our anxieties at the feet of Jesus. So what David is saying is, I've, I've leveled them. I've leveled my cares. I've leveled the things that have prevented me from peace. I've leveled them at the feet of Jesus. Peace is found when we quiet our soul in the Lord. And I know this might sound a bit more theoretical than practical, but I think this takes us full circle to the beginning of our time together. Remember, I said all, when all the fundamental pieces are coming together to form a whole, to, to unite together, that's when we experience peace. And now we're getting to that fundamental peace We're quieting our soul in the Lord because there's no peace more important than having a relationship with Christ. So if we desire peace, if we want to walk and grow in the fruit of peace, then we have to turn to the source of peace who is Jesus. Without it, we are parked at 198 and we are going nowhere. There is no momentum in our life whatsoever. There's no peace. We need Jesus in our life. And I think there are three ways we experience this peace. Now, This is not a five steps to greater peace in our life. This is not this sermon. I don't think we can find that. I think think there are three ways we experience peace, but this is not a checklist. I think as believers, we're really great at reaching. If I could just reach this and if I just alter this and do this, this is a time to receive. I don't want us to reach. I just want us to receive what Scripture says to us. I think one of the first ways we experience peace is peace with God. Peace with God. This is what Paul says in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The the word peace here is is "irene." It's the same word we've been interacting with this whole entire sermon. And when we believe in Christ as the Savior and Lord of our lives, Paul is saying that we have peace, we have wholeness, togetherness, unity with God. All the fundamental pieces are finally falling into place when we have peace with God. God, through Jesus Christ. And Paul says, we are justified. So justified, or justification, is a legal term in which God declares one righteous as he or she has placed their faith in Christ for salvation. This is a title that we cannot earn or work for or or purchase somehow. This is by grace through faith in Christ alone. We have peace with God. See, without this peace with God, the opposite is actually quite dire. It's not just chaos, it's death. It's enmity, it's war, it's, it's enemies of God. And Paul says, by faith in our relationship with Christ, we have peace with God. But what I think is really important to note in this text, Paul is not talking about the emotion or the feeling of peace. He's not talking about the emotion. He's not talking about the feeling. He's saying, he's bringing us to the theological reality that when we have placed our faith in Christ, we have Peace. So peace is not so much an emotion as it is a position. We have peace with God. So Paul is pulling us from our present reality, our present circumstances. He's giving us a a view of redemptive history. And is saying when we find grace in Jesus Christ by faith, we have peace. We have irony. We have this unity with God. So I think that's encouraging for us who are walking through difficult times because here, here's a, a pastor teaching on peace. and You're like, my situations are anything but peaceful. Now, you may be going through some really difficult things. You may go, be going through some really hard things. And Paul is bringing us to the theological reality that if you have placed your faith in Christ and you know, that you know that you know that your faith is in Christ, you have peace with God. It's a theological position. It's a reality in your world. That's what gets us through the tough times. That's what gets us through the dark days. That's how we can can lose a loved one. We have peace knowing that if they believe in Christ, they're in heaven and that Christ through his sacrifices redeemed mankind to the Lord. There's some theological implications. We rest in that knowing that I have peace with God. It may be going south. Things are going sideways. I have peace with God. It's like a load-bearing wall in your house. What what do load-bearing walls do? They support the structure, right? This supports support the ceiling and the roof, the, maybe the exterior walls. But what happens if you take away the load-bearing wall? The structure collapses. The ceiling starts to cave in. The roof starts to sink. Could collapse altogether. Maybe pull some exterior walls with it. The whole structure collapses. Peace with God is our load-bearing wall. It's, it's just knowing the reality that I have peace with God no matter what is happening in my life. Peace with God is my theological Reality. It's the foundation that we build on. It's the structure that supports us. But that leads to the outflow. That leads to the emotion of peace of God. This is the second way we experience peace, the peace of God. And it may sound like these two are similar, but they're actually different. Uh, they're, they're, they're different. So whereas peace with God is an empirical fact for Christ's followers, the peace of God is is what we would describe in Psalm 131, too, or the emotion, the feeling of peace. I just feel at peace. That's the peace of God. It's a calm and quiet soul. It's when our cares and our anxieties and our fears have been leveled at the feet of Jesus. And this just over, overarching theme of, I just feel like it's going to be okay. That's when that prevails. Paul talks about this in the book of Philippians in chapter 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord. in Christ Jesus. And see, notice in verse 7 that Paul talks about the peace of God. It means that God in his nature, one of his attributes is peace. There's a tranquility that he has. He gives those who have found peace with him. He is the God of peace. In fact, in verse number 9 of this text, if you were to read down a little bit further, Paul actually defines him as the God of peace. Peace. And it's this peace that we as Christ followers desire. When we talk about peace, this is probably where our mind goes, the peace of God. And Paul says it actually passes understanding. What is this peace that surpasses understanding? Well, notice the text that says that it's rooted in prayer. It's rooted in prayer. Our peace of God is rooted in the reality we have prayed about these circumstances, prayed about these situations. Uh, I love what one pastor said regarding the peace of God, particularly in this text. He says, God's peace is not the result of the power of our prayers or the effectiveness of our prayers. Let me just put a pin in that. I hope you find encouragement in that one sentence. Because I would imagine you probably came into this room. There's some of us who came into this room saying, I am not great at praying. I don't feel like I'm effective in my prayer. I can't string a, sen- a group of sentences together, a group of words together. It just doesn't flow for me. I'm not a great orator. Well, from what I see here, it's not about being a great prayer. It's about giving those cares and anxieties to the Lord, no matter how that may be communicated from your lips. See, prayer is not auto-suggestion, a form of self-hypnosis that produces God's peace. Prayer is our openness about our needs before God, our emptiness in His presence our absolute dependence upon him with an attitude of constant thanksgiving and complete trust. What is prayers, acknowledging our emptiness? Acknowledging our neediness. God, I need you. I'm looking at this circle of concern. I can do nothing about it, but you can, and we bring it to the Lord. He levels it. This is calm and quiet soul. This is what the peace of God looks like in our life. We obtain this by going to God in prayer over and over and over and having a complete trust in God that he can handle even when we can't. The peace of God starts with prayer. How is our prayer life? And then finally, as we wrap up our time together, there's one final way we experience peace. And that's by spending time with the person of peace. Or as Isaiah rightly defined him, the prince of Peace. I love how our psalm ends in verse number three. David says, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Oh, Highland Community Church, hope in the Lord. Oh, Isaiah, hope in the Lord. Oh, you who've been wrestling with just trying to find peace in your life. Hope in the Lord. It's from the person of peace. We can't find peace in what our world produces. It's found in Christ alone. Are we spending time with the Prince of Peace? I love how David goes full circle here. He's talking about the Lord. He's talking about himself. He's now appealing to others. Hope in the Lord. How do we experience peace? We hope in the Lord. He is our hope. I go back to the Upper room discourse. As Jesus is interacting with his disciples before The the events happen on the cross and his burial, and then soon, in the next few days, his ascension. But Jesus, as he's preparing his disciples for those moments, he leaves them these words, Peace, I leave you. This is in verse number 27. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So, let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why? Because he's going to give them peace. He's talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit that would indwell them. What a, great, what a great passage. The world doesn't produce peace. It's through the person of Christ. Oh, Highland Community Church, hope in the Lord. And I pray as we interact with those who may be struggling with peace, walking through difficult times, I pray that Psalm 131 can be a guiding light for them. I pray Psalm 131 can be a guiding light for all of us as we grapple with this idea of who is peace, what is peace, where do I find peace, and it's, it's in Jesus We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners so that we may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Let's look to Christ as our source of peace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this time as, as we've been able to gather in your word to worship you, as we look to you as our source of peace. God, there are a lot of substitutes. There are a lot of distractions. There are a lot of things that will say it, it will give us peace, but it's so temporary, so short-term. And God, I pray that as we grow and as we develop in our relationship with you, that our minds, our hearts are, are continually fixed on the reality that you are the Prince of Peace. Your son Jesus came and proved That as we place our faith in him, we have eternal life. God, I pray for those in the room that have not trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, that your spirit would reach them and draw them to himself. That you would be glorified in all things and that we live peaceful lives for the glory of God. In his name we pray. Amen.